This is Chattanooga Civics. I'm Nathan Bird. I'd like to thank my patrons for supporting the show, especially the Marks family and Stephen Culp. If you enjoyed the Chattanooga Civics podcast, newsletter, or Instagram feed, please consider supporting me on patreon.com slash chatcivics. I am Casey Tinker, the manager of Office of Homelessness and Supportive Housing here at the city of Chattanooga. Well, thank you for being on the show. Um, so I want to start out with a general question. What is the current state of homelessness in Chattanooga? Yeah, um, according to our last pit count, uh, which was held in January of this year, uh, we had 607 unsheltered um, folks experiencing homelessness um, over the year. Um we did have a 40% reduction over last year's numbers, um, which which is pretty impressive. Um, and um, it really shows that the community is is working hard to, to address the homeless issues. And you use that term pit count. Can you define that? Yeah, pit is point in time. So it, it is, um, it's usually done on a day or over a a course of several days in one week, and it is a, a count of everyone that is experiencing homeless in that point in time. Um, so, you know, it, it can vary. Um, but on that given day, at any given point during that time, that is the number that was counted. Right. And how often are those pit counts? They are um, done uh, yearly. Yearly. Okay. Great. Yeah. So, you said there was a 40% reduction uh, from the previous year. How has it looked in kind of the longer term going back three, five, ten years? Yeah, we had been we had been staying pretty steady um, over the years um, until COVID. COVID hit um, and we had a, a, a massive uh, influx um, in the number. So the, the 2022 20, number was quite an increase. Um, so we're, we're back to the pre COVID levels now. Basically. Okay. Okay. So there's a common theory that homeless folks are being moved here from other cities. Uh, do you guys measure that? And is there any truth to that? Um, there is, there is a, some transient population, given our location. We're, we're on the interstate. We're in between Atlanta, Knoxville, Birmingham, uh, Nashville. Like people do come through. Um, but the majority, um, pretty much all that come through, um, the office of homelessness and supportive housing has ties to Tennessee or has ties to Chattanooga or was born here. Um, and, and not that it is a requirement for our program, but to get, get people, uh, subsidies or whatever we have to verify their birth certificates we have to see that the majority of birth certificates are coming from tennessee um so yes there there is um there is some transient uh population but it's not the majority right okay so i want to talk about you've got three kind of major goals listed on your website for how this department is handling homelessness and hoping to address it in the long run and that's providing permanent housing um, preventing homelessness and then addressing the impacts of homelessness. So I want to start with that first one, permanent housing. If you could just talk about why permanent housing is at the top of that list. Yeah. So we, we are a housing first, uh, community. And what, what that means is, um, 
exactly how it sounds. If you put a person in a home, you can work on all the other co-occurring issues after they're in a house. Um, and, and the way that looks is, you know, it's hard for someone to get a job and hold down a job uh, if they don't have a shower to take or, or, or somewhere to wash their clothes or an alarm clock to wake them up to go to work. Um, it's hard for them to work on substance abuse if they're in a tent in the middle of a field somewhere and all they do have is alcohol to keep them occupied. Um, it's hard to treat mental health issues if you are not able to get back and forth to your doctors, have a safe place to store your medicine. So the housing first approach is, is let's put someone in a house and then work on all those other issues once they are in a house. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why permanent housing is so important. Um, especially when we are talking about people experiencing homelessness, like that is the main goal, get them in a house and then let's work on all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of a, a simplified question, but I want to address it right out of the gate. Why why can't the city of Chattanooga just house all of these people? What are those big barriers that are standing in the way? Um, there 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 is many barriers. A there's not enough housing. Uh, we don't have enough affordable housing. Uh, that is something that that the city is is very working very diligent on um, to to produce more affordable housing in the city. Um, the I, w- I would say, you know, other other reasons are resources. It's expensive to house someone. Um, you know, we we put forth uh, quite a bit of funding each year. Um, but it would take millions of dollars to house every single person experiencing homelessness. And we would need the available units to also do that. And it would, it would take all the stars aligning perfectly to put every single person experiencing homelessness in a house at any given time. Right. And that makes sense. So for the people that you are able to house, how does the Department of or the Office of Homelessness and Supportive Housing locate and fund that housing? And is this housing publicly or privately owned or a combination? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we have um, a team of housing navigators. Um, their primary primary job is to um, engage with landlords, private and public, meaning public housing and that kind of stuff. Um, and they will, they will work with those landlords to, to engage them to work in our program. Um, we, we offer case management up to a year after a person is housed. Uh, they're assigned to a, a case manager or social worker after housing. Um, and, and that's part of the attractive package to landlords that, you know, hey, if you rent to our clients, then, um, then it comes with, with these services attached to them. Um, we're able to, to pay deposits for most people. Um, in some cases, we're able to pay a couple of, of months rent for them. Uh, the majority of our clients, we transfer to a section eight voucher. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that takes a few months. So we'll like get them into housing, pay a few months, get them transferred to a section eight voucher. Um, at that point, then they would cover their portion of the rent and, and so forth. Um, if it's public housing, that's much, much easier. Um, and, um, so we, we cover the deposit and then they're able to pay the rest of it because it's much more affordable. Mm -hmm. How do you find those landlords who are willing to work with you on this program? What 
avenues are you going through to try and connect with these people? Yeah, the, the, the housing navigators, they're out. They're driving the streets. So they're looking for signs. Um, they're they're engaging. Janetta Langston is our lead housing uh, coordinator. And, and she that is her primary job is to go out, engage in landlords. Um, she holds uh, roundtables, landlord roundtables. She uh, will be holding a, a landlord informational session in the next few months. Uh, where she invites all the landlords in and gives them a, a plethora of information and resources and, and really engage with them to try to attract them to wanting to work with our program. And then how do y'all prioritize who gets to get to the top of this list of who gets housing and, and who has to wait a little longer? Yeah, we go, um, we use coordinated entry, uh, which is um, ran through the Homeless Coalition. Um, and basically, when, when a person is experiencing homelessness, they're engaged in some type of service provider and, and they do an assessment on them. Um, that assessment gets entered into our HMIS system or homeless management information system. Um, and it, and it's kind of give a, give a place value of, of their acuity. Um, and then when we need referrals, the coalition will refer people over based off of the highest acuity um, or um, different different kind of situations like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we also um, have an internal wait list um, for community partners to refer stuff to, over to us, um, and we just kind of operate off the wait list. That way, first come, first serve. Mm-hmm. So how successful is this permanent housing program? What is the percentage of people who get to stay housed in the long run? And, you know, is that something you all measure? Yeah, absolutely. We do. Um, um, it, it is kind of a hard measure to to come up with because, you know, we are only with them for a year. After that year, it's hard to to keep track of someone if we're not engaging with them on a regular basis. But over that year, we have approximately about an 85% retention rate uh, for the people that do uh, actually get into permanent housing. So I want to talk about a specific project related to this permanent housing, and that's the airport in conversion. It's been in the news a lot. It's it's a very kind of flagship program. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, it's one of the first kind of city-owned buildings that will be dedicated to this sort of supportive housing. Why was that site in particular chosen? Um, so it wasn't that site particular. Uh, we were looking for a, for a hotel that could be purchased. Um, this, just, this location just happens to have one of the, the hotels that were up for sale at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we made that purchase. Um, and we are currently in the process of uh, going through the RFP process to um, to put this hotel out for a, a supportive services to operate. Mm-hmm. Um, they will do the renovations. They will do the permanent supportive housing uh, model and all that kind of stuff. Right. And, and just to be clear, this is going to be permanent housing for these folks, not a shelter. Where not a shelter. Are coming in and no out. shelter. Uh, this is permanent for as long as they choose to be in the program. Um, and that's what permanent supportive housing is, is, you know, it provides all that wraparound services on site um, so that 
that so that folks can can get the needed support and, and eventually graduate in into their own private unit somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, but until then, it provides all that support is that's needed. Yeah. What are some of those resources that are going to be um, available? Yeah. So they'll they'll work, um, and it depends on which service provider that that takes takes possession of the building but um they'll work with mental health substance abuse they'll work with jobs they'll um whatever the client it'll be client focused so whatever the need of the client is Mm -hmm. to make them stable and successful for the long run right what are going to be the kind of restrictions if any on on who gets to stay there in terms of you know how long the lease is how much it costs um do they have to take advantage of these programs? Things like that. Yeah. So um, again, it'll be up to to the service provider for for their specific um, terms uh, of the agreements, um, which that has not been awarded yet. We are okay. in uh, contract negotiations now, and we hope to be able to make that public very very soon. Um, but basically, you know, the lease terms. Um, the units will be uh, project-based units, meaning um, there will be subsidies from the housing authority um, for um, for the unit, not for the person. Um, so the person can stay in that unit as long as they need to. So it wouldn't be for like 11 months or 12 months or, you know, it could be two years if that's what they need. Mm-hmm. And then... What is going to be done to help this the residents manage transportation? One of the biggest critiques I've heard of this site in particular is that it's at a kind of high volume intersection. There's not really a bus route that goes very close, and there's not really a lot of other resources around, like you know, doctor's office, a grocery store, things like that. Yeah. Um, it is. It's not that far from Carta. It is a little bit of a walk. Um, but there is hopes that that the service provider that does have that will assist with some of the transportation needs mm-hmm. as far as like, um, you know, getting getting them maybe to the bus stop or providing uh, shuttles or stuff like that. Right. And then last question on, on this particular topic. How does the cost of this conversion compare to other options like subsidizing units from from other landlords or, you know, other sites? Yeah, Um I think that it it would it it will save money in the long run. Um, a person that is um, is living on the streets ta- costs a lot of money to taxpayers for multiple reasons. Whether it's jail, whether it's uh, health care, um, emergency services, um, stuff like that. So having a per- a permanent home for them will cut that expense tremendously um and it's hard to have someone in let's say a scattered site and be able to provide that 24 hours seven days a week kind of support because you can't have that many workers you know headed out to a hundred different sites when if you have them all in one building you can have less workers less money spent on, on, on the workload and more on, on getting the people, the stability that they need. Right. So I want to move on to the prevention of homelessness and talk about a program you all run the eviction prevention and eviction diversion programs. Talk me through those and and how they work. Um, yeah. And, and just for the record, we don't, we don't run the, we don't run those. Um, the, um, 
community foundation runs the eviction diversion program. Okay. Um, and basically that is a legal service. Um, it provides legal help for people that are, um, up for eviction. Mm -hmm. Um, they do have a few other resources, but they kind of walk the person through the whole process of eviction and provide them with the legal counsel that they need. Um, the EPI program, um, is very similar to EDI and it works hand in hand, uh, with EDI, but EPI, um, helps people apply for money through THDA, um, help, helps them get the resources that, that they need, um, while going through the eviction process. Mm-hmm. Um, we do partner with them. Um, and, um, one of our staff members goes to eviction court each week, uh, is there with EPI. Um, and then, um, when appropriate, a person that does actually get evicted will be a, sometimes referred over to our program, depending on the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we will help try to rehouse them. Okay. So those aren't programs run by this office, no. but you work to refer people to Correct. that program. Yes. Okay. We, we, we work <clears throat> together, um, but they are not actually part of, of our office. Right. So how does someone qualify for that program? Is just anybody who's facing eviction can yep. go to the community anybody, foundation? Yep. Anybody if I, uh, facing eviction can call into um, the eviction prevention hotline. Um, and uh, talk with someone at the community foundation or, or, or the office that it's ran out of. Um, and then, of course, if you're in court at eviction court, um, EPI is there each and every uh, Thursday. Mm-hmm. And then are there any other tools that the city is using to prevent homelessness? Um, right now, that is, uh, that is our partners uh, for uh, prevention. Okay. So I want to move on to the kind of last major bullet point that was on the website addressing the impacts of homelessness. And I want to start by talking about the sanctioned encampment that's down by um, 11th Street. What services are available on site at that encampment? Yep. So they um, so they they are working. Um, we did an RFP for that. Uh, Help right here has the the contract currently mm-hmm. on, on the site, um, and they work with with the residents to to you know get them food. Um, they work with them uh, on permanent housing. Uh, Help right here has. Um, housed, I want to say, 31 individuals uh, so far in in the year and a half that they have been operating. Um, we do partner with them to to take referrals and try to process the, the folks through um, as quickly as possible. Um, they work with them, given activities. Um, they, they've been fundamental on that, um, uh, artists and transitions, um, and getting people involved in those extracurricular activities. And they provide a safe, secure location for someone to be at. That is the main thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's safe. Um, it's not on the street. Uh, it's controlled and, um, they're able to just, uh, have a place to sleep that's safe. Right. Has that program been successful? I know you mentioned 31 people have been rehoused. Are there any other metrics that are being used to determine the success of that program? People staying in the camp rather than going to another camp, things like that. Um, yet right now that is the, the matrix that they have been using, uh, and reporting is, Mm -hmm. is the folks that are being housed. Um, we're going to this year look at, uh, 
you know, other metrics and how we can increase those with them. Right. And then are there any plans to expand the camp's capacity or create a new camp or offer more services? Um, right now there is, uh, no plans to expand or, or open a second camp at this time. Okay. Um, one initiative I, I read about briefly is that the city is helping to develop a low barrier, high capacity shelter. Can you tell me a little bit about that plan? Yeah. So we, um, um, it, the Kelly administration is dedicated to, to having a shelter. Um, we are willing to put forth the, the resources needed for it. Um, right now we are evaluating several different locations. Um, it's still very early in the mm-hmm. process. Um, but we, we are evaluating different locations to see, um, which ones would be the most viable for the low, for this low barrier shelter. Um, and then we'll be moving forward as soon as that location is, uh, picked. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about, encampments that are not sanctioned there's you know more people than that one encampment can fill unfortunately how does the city deal with these encampments that are not sanctioned and does the office of homelessness and supportive housing provide resources to people in unofficial encampments yeah absolutely we do um so we have an outreach team um they go out every day um they're in the woods under bridges um, out in camps and they engage with the folks that are unsheltered. Um, they, um, they provide them with water, sleeping bag, a tent, and, you know, and winter blankets, you know, all those emergency needs, but that's not all they do. They engage with them in housing. Um, they, they get them, um, assessed, get them into the system to get them in line to receive permanent housing. Mm-hmm. And then is the Office of Homelessness and Supportive Housing involved in breaking down or removing those camps when that happens? Yes, absolutely. So um, we we do not enforce the removal. Uh, CPD does all the enforcement. Mm-hmm. But we, we are there uh, when, when camps are resolved for, for whatever reasons. It could be um, a private property owner ha- has requested that they don't want homeless people on their property and, and that's understandable. Um, but we try to, to be there to do it in a humane way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we will work with folks, um, that are getting displaced to just like we would with anyone else, uh, and, and help move the process along for them to get into permanent housing. And then what happens to those people when a camp is broken down? So you mentioned you guys are on site helping, to provide resources as best you can, uh, what typically happens and are you all able to stay in touch with those people to continue providing resources in these cases? Yeah. For, for the most part, we are able to, um, stay in contact with them. You know, we get their name, some type of way of contacting them or find out where they're going to move, move to. Um, we, we don't tell them where they can move, um, you know, because it's not, not our place to, tell them but but we help them you know get their stuff up get everything that they need so they don't lose very viable uh you know i a lot of times they'll lose their ids birth certificate social security if they're in a rush and they lose that so we help like prepare them we go out a few days ahead of time work with them like hey the day's coming have you been thinking about where you can go is there anyone you can go stay with um that kind of stuff to tr- just kind of help them so it's it's not such a, a hard impact the day that it happens right and and for the most part um everyone 
everyone kind of moves on for the most part on their own um, because they don't want that confrontation the right. day of. There, there's usually a few stragglers, but we're there to help mitigate it throughout the process. Mm-hmm. And then what happens to people who either won't accept help, either due to distrust or mental health issues? And, and what resources are available to people who, for whatever reason, don't want to engage with the system that's been set up by this office? Yeah, we, we keep trying. Um, and you know, we may not succeed the first time, but it might be the third time or it may be the 10th time that we say, Hey, do you want, are you interested in permanent housing? They may say no a dozen times, but Mm -hmm. that 13th time they may say, yes, Mm -hmm. we want housing. Um, and, and we continue to engage with them. Um, there, there is a few that just doesn't want help. And, and that's fine. That That's their choice. And they usually just move around from place to place. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, um, once we do get someone to say, yes, they, they want permanent housing, they're more than willing to, to, to do, go through the process. Awesome. Well, that's all the questions that I have. Do you have anything else you want to add? No, I don't think so. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and thank you for the work that you're doing here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chattanooga Civics. Our music was written and recorded by Kevin McLeod. If you have any questions or feedback, please send me an email at chattanoogacivics at gmail.com. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at chatcivics, or visit the website chattanoogacivics.com. Thanks for listening. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.